Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host... Eric Skwarzynski. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining me on the Preacher Boys podcast. Mindy, can you please just introduce yourself and let people know a little bit about you? I can. My name is Mindy. I I come from parents who were unchurched, but they actually raised us in pretty much exclusively in the IFB movement. And so I'm, I was just a regular. I didn't come from like preacher kid background right. or anything, just a lay lay family so. okay got it and and what was it you said they were unchurched before what was it that ended up prompting them to go to an ifb church my so my mom's home life was pretty it would have been considered dysfunctional okay. and she she said that she always knew that there was something more and so she thought she would find that in church and so even though she was really young she it, it was pretty much my mom who was more that push to, to get us in church and keep us in churches. Yeah, my siblings and I were raised as faithful churchgoers. And would you say your initial kind of memories of church were pretty positive for the most part? Younger memory, memories were probably better. As I started growing up, my mom was, my parents were country people and raised on farms and things. It's not always it's not always convenient for women to wear skirts and culottes and things. Right. So in the churches that pushed that heavily, there was a lot of pushback there that we were rebellious. And so we didn't, we were definitely in the lower end of the caste system because we didn't adopt everything. So some of those external standards as they would have liked to have seen us do. Sure. When's the first time you remember feeling some kind of like, pushback where you identified like, oh, because we don't fit into their mold, we're getting some kind of heat from people in the church? Probably when I started being a teenager, I started mm-hmm. asking a lot of questions. And though 
you can ask a, a couple of light questions and get away with it for a little bit, maybe half a dozen or so. And then at, after that point, especially if they start getting really heavy, like, how do we know God is good? <laughs> then it starts a pol mostly polite, you need to sit down and shut up. Right. right. And you need to, that's not your place. You need to be silent. You need to be... Um, you just need to let go and let God. You need to just trust Jesus and love Jesus and not ask questions. Sure. So probably when I was a teenager is when I started asking more questions because things just weren't right. They weren't right in the home. They weren't right at church. I know we tried to talk about that a little bit okay. and because you would think that the church would help the disenfranchised and those that are being oppressed and things. Right. And so we were like, hey, things aren't right. And they're like, you're just not being submissive. You're just mm -hmm. being rebellious. And that's why things are bad in the home. And that's why if you were doing, if you weren't in sin, then that wouldn't be happening. Mm -hmm. It was, it threw it all back on us. And I'm like, I don't think so. That's not loving behavior. That's not, I, right. so that's probably when I started going, yeah, this isn't all good. Right. Interesting. So, but, what, how, how, so was that your initial response as a teenager? Was there ever a point at which you started buying into that kind of thinking or that maybe it is something I'm doing that's causing this or? I, I tried. I really tried because I, I don't like confrontation. I'm, right. I tend to be, if I don't have to be assertive, I would rather be passive. I'm right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe I, I am exhibiting some rebellious attitudes and I can, okay. Right. Yeah, maybe asking so many questions isn't maybe exhibiting a gentle and submissive spirit. I know I would try and, but it just like things didn't end. And I know my mom tried. I really never saw her defy my dad. If my dad asked for something, she really did her best to make sure that it was done. Hmm. And, and I just, that didn't make sense that she's doing what he's telling her to do. And I remember when I was, I don't know, 16, 17, maybe in that neighborhood, the church that we were in at the time, my, we moved a lot. My dad, my dad's job moved us every two to three years. Okay. So every time we moved, of course, we kind of got, that honeymoon phase again right. and then it started all over which probably helped take it longer for it to go yeah I'm not done I'm done but I remember when we were when I was like 16 or 17 the church that we were in at the time had all the it was a very small church so all the girls and ladies there were probably if everyone was there it may have been eight of us there at the time probably okay. like six or eight sure. of us there on a given night and and that included the pastor's wife who was leading the study and we went through uh, the book you can be the wife of a happy husband mm -hmm. and in my personal opinion at the time and i haven't really looked at it since then i was pretty upset over it uh, the more i thought about it the more i didn't like it and it it felt like to me that it basically advocated that you be a doormat and like your husband can ask you to sin or do whatever. And you're just supposed to do that because he's your God given authority. And 
you're just supposed to let God intervene. And if he doesn't, then you do what he says. And that was uncomfortable for me because they preach so hard against like alcohol and drugs and bars and things like that. And it gave stories about these women who their husbands were telling them to go with them to a bar or, or whatever. And they were just supposed to do that. And and I was like, really? If it's not okay, it's not okay. Okay. Sure. So how did that make you feel as a teenage girl developing basically into womanhood and trying to figure out what your, like every teenager, trying to figure out what your place in the world is. And then the information you're getting is to be a doormat, to be, for lack of a better word, submissive. And how did that make you feel? Did that make you angry? Did that depress you? What was the response to that? It was very confusing because there's this natural um, inclination that I'm I have intrinsic value as a person and it I should be able to expect that someone will treat me with some honor and respect and right. and cherish me as a person right. with with feelings and value. And then on the other side of this, they're saying that that because I'm a woman, I don't have value. That right. I'm just there to marry somebody who knows all the right answers and then have three, four, five, ten kids. And that is my value as a person is then Mm. having these kids and bringing them up in church to perpetuate the cycle. And I thought, I felt that was, it was like a mixed message and a double standard. And it was probably the thing that I questioned the most As I was growing up, I'm like, I don't see how it sounds like a double standard to me. And they're like, no, it's not. And, but it clearly, it's, there's not a lot of ways around it that it's, you can't tell me that I have enough value for God to send a son to die for me. And that's valuable. That makes me valuable. But yet I don't have any value as a person. I can't expect a man to treat me well, if he wants to, if he wants to beat me every night and and abuse me behind closed doors or in front of people or and insult me and and put me down in every which way, then that's okay. That's my place as a woman, and I should be okay with that. I should just submit and be sweet and be gentle and. Yeah. So where did this line of questioning? end up taking it? What was the, what was the result of this kind of line of thinking? Cause I don't think you stayed put and just sat there for the next couple of years. I didn't. When we were, when I was 18, my dad took a job in the Kansas city Metro area. And after going to several churches and looking for a church for, I think it was a year and a half, something like that, we ended up and we had visited Tri-City Baptist church in, uh, at the beginning of our church search, but it's huge. We all, we had always lived in rural towns, so churches would be like 20, 30 people, maybe a couple hundred people. One of the first churches we went to, there was a wonderful pastor and his wife, and I don't know if they were just like one of those rare, like actual people that really love their people and really love God, or, and they called, they 
of course it was an independent Baptist church, but I don't know if it was part of the IFB movement or it just had independent because it was independent. But that was probably one of the biggest factors of us getting into the IFB movement was that couple. And they, we still keep in contact with them and their family today. In fact, I, I invited him to my wedding and I was probably seven or eight when we were going there. Mm-hmm. But then when, anyway, when I turned, that was a tangent, sorry. When I turned 18-ish, 19, something like that, we moved to Kansas City and uh, started attending uh, Tri-City Baptist Church. And they, and it was huge. It was like at the time, I think it was running, I think it was running 900-ish people on a Sunday morning. And it was the culture shock. Anyway, we ended up going there and they, again, tried to push things and I asked questions that had no answers apparently, right. and but I was old enough to start working, okay. and so I had a job, and I so the line of work that I work that I was in, I worked a lot of Sundays, and so it was semi acceptable for me to miss because I was at work. So yeah. I started through that transitioning out of church, and kind of the further I got away from it, the more dissatisfied I the more because it's like working with a con man where like a short change artist when you're when they're there with you they're like they they won't stop talking and they just keep telling you what to do and you need to give me that you need to give me that you need to give me that and they won't let you like just stop and think you're like if you would just be quiet for just a minute I could I'm I know something's not right here but you won't stop talking long enough for me to think about it and so yeah, you do that. And then like when they're gone, you're like, they just got away with 50 bucks. <laughs> and so it was the same concept. Like I was in there. So they're like constantly like talking, I'm like something's not right, but I can't put my finger on it. And you won't stop talking long enough for me to actually think, figure it out. So the more I was away, the more it's like, these things just don't, these are inconsistent. It's what they're teaching is inconsistent. And, but I, because they hold the ACE, of if you leave you will go to hell right um forever (laughs) and so i wouldn't like i wouldn't actually pull the trigger and formally leave Mm -hmm. and but then my sister got ended up getting married and she got married and they're at the church and in that experience a lot of people because i'm older than her by a couple of years and she was on the edge of it's no longer okay to be single right. and I was long past that and people were starting to say some really nasty things to me and about me and for my benefit while I was in earshot and and she she had seen that happen to me and she was there she was on that cusp where if she didn't get married she was that, that was gonna be her and so she she ended up getting married, and there were some really hurtful things that were said, just cruel things that were said to me. Um, and I, 
it's like, I can't do this anymore. I just can't. I was hurt so deeply. It was, the hurt was bigger than the fear of going to hell. So I just, I left. I, I couldn't do it. And a couple months later, I tried to go to a different church and I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I was out of church completely for anyway a year. I didn't, I completely disassociated with all religion. I wouldn't read any Christian books. I wouldn't listen to any of their music. I didn't attend any services anywhere. I didn't associate with anybody. I did, I, I did keep after several months, I started listening to, uh, I had an audio Bible and I started listening to that. Some, that's the only kind of Christian religion kind of thing, Christian thing that I did. And that was for a very long, that was probably about a year. And I, I ended up going in a completely different direction. I started, I had a little bit of extra time. And so I'm like, I should learn something. I should do something and (laughs) better myself. And so I started looking around for some, I've always found Hebrew fascinating and I always wanted to learn it. But so I started calling around and one of the local synagogues had a, had an introduction to Judaism class. So they let me go to that. And so I kind of, that was like the first interaction with religion that I'd had for like probably two years. Okay. So after that, so after having that, obviously like a fairly negative experience within a culture that's very restrictive and feeling like there's not a, there really is no future outside of the one that they're laying out for you. What was it that kept you still drawn to the idea of religion? Obviously, or I guess spirituality is a better word, but because religion was probably not something you're interested in. No. But what was it that kept you drawn to like this kind of spiritual side of things? I had a couple of experiences in my life and I had separated God and the church. Okay. And so I'm like, okay, I can see that the place is bad, but I still believe that God is good. Hmm. I can see that the church has let me down and people have let me down, but I really don't think that God has. Right. And that, it, that was a, a very difficult separation, but somebody tried to kill me. And so there was like a whole different, mm-hmm. there was a whole thing there. And I'm like, okay, so. Was someone from the church or just no, a, a different no, experience it was, separately? Yeah, it was totally, it was totally unrelated. It was totally right. unrelated. It was just one of those things that. Makes you think about things. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I, st- and the whole thing is because I felt like marriages were basically arranged mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But if for all intents and purposes. It, for, for all intents and purposes, it was right. arranged. I had a list of guys that I could choose from that were okay. Sure. Nobody too high, nobody outside the church. There right. wasn't really a whole lot of people that were too low for me because I was pretty much at the bottom. And, and they wanted, they, there was no to it. They wanted my pastor and or church leadership a lot of times my my church was small enough that the pastor was the big the closest 
other authority that I had. And my dad and those two, if they didn't approve, like I couldn't get married. So everything had to be like approved by parents in order for us to get together and which is basically the definition of an arranged marriage if they say no to everybody except the one they want it's yeah. the same as i'm picking yeah. so you you mentioned earlier like a caste system and mm-hmm. i've had other people that have referenced something like that mm-hmm. when you say that what do you mean by that and what would you say that looks like and again this isn't a formal thing but i would say for all intents and purposes there's definite boundaries and, and levels yeah. in a lot of these churches. So what did that look like in your experience? And did you see this in each of the churches that you went to? Yes, it, w- it was pretty much a universal thing. And it pretty much consisted of the people at the top were pastors, kids, missionaries, kids, people who were presumed to be super spiritual because of their position. People or their who, parents. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah, or their parents. People who, I like their parents ran well-respected ministries and things. Those kids were, like, top of the system. Unless, of course, they fell from grace by doing something, like, really, really... Really bad. Yeah, flamboyantly, right. ostentatiously bad. Right. And then there were, like, everybody who fell in line and towed the mark and things. Those people came next and people who had been like church leadership, like your deacons and and things like that, leadership positions under your pastoral staff, those kind of people came as a close second into that inner circle. And then obviously this is all from my perspective. And then you had the other people who fell in as how much they appeared to be so borrow the phrase that you use, bought in, for lack of a better term. So because my family didn't submit as much because I, what's the necessity of me wearing skirts all the time? That's right. That isn't what I wear doesn't necessarily reflect who I am. I can be a lot more modest in a pair of jeans than I can in situations that I can be in dresses and skirts. Sure. Yeah. And then, so there's like all these people who follow part of the rules, not all pick and choose from the buffet. And then there's all the people who are just nominally there. Yeah. That's kind of how it appeared to work to me. And then also this kind of ties in obviously experience of like how women are treated and and Mm -hmm. I guess positioned within the church why do you feel there's such a negative treatment or view of women within the independent Baptist movement? So because I didn't experience the level of abuse that a lot of your guests have have experienced. Mine was primarily emotional and mental, spiritual abuse, mostly mind stuff. So, but The thing about grooming someone to accept abuse is that you don't just groom them to accept a specific kind of abuse. You you groom them to accept any form of abuse. So you could basically do with me, even though I wasn't really completely sold out, because of the mind control and things, you could pretty much do with me on a lot of levels, whatever you needed to. I was at a point 
where because we went to the camps we went to we didn't go to the christian school which was one of the marks against us which kept us lower and we went to public school so that was but i was still like you have to if you're if you have to be there then you have to contradict everything that they're telling you like right. everything that they tell you in science is wrong <laughs> so it, they could i i was and then because I don't like confrontation, I would rather, if it's possible, um, just, okay, that's not that bad. I can do that. I would rather just go along with things as long as it's not, like, egregious. And so I, I, I wasn't a fighter. So they could pretty much do whatever they wanted to with me. Mm. And I, w- I wasn't going to make a lot of ruckus. Yeah, I relate to that personality a lot. Like I'm, I was the same way. Like I'm, I'm, it's, I'm. Everybody's a weird hodgepodge of different characteristics and traits. But I think it might be easy to think because I'm doing this. I'm a very like alpha fighter personality, and I'm not. Like I, I hate confrontation. Like I did sales for two months, and I they told me to quit. They said we can't fire you because you're a contractor, but you're just not good at pushing anything. Like for me, if someone says I'm not interested, I say, okay, (laughs) no big deal. Sorry to bother you. Like I'll never talk to you again. Have a great day. (laughs) And, but I'm this, I also share the personality trait you talked about where like I question everything. So I'm a big, like I question Mm -hmm. everything. Someone tells me I question. And Mm -hmm. so it makes for this really weird internal struggle where I don't want to cause problems or fight. Mm -hmm. And I'm probably the one that's wrong but this doesn't make any sense. And that's where I get stuck is is I'll get stuck there thinking this doesn't make sense, but they must know something I don't know. So I need to sit here and try to understand where they're coming from. And I think that, I don't know how to say it, but there's a misjudgment that if you would prefer not to be, not to face confrontation that you're weak so yeah. I think that a lot of people will misjudge you and say, oh, you must be weak and easy to oppress because because you don't like to stand up. Mm-hmm. And so they think that because you don't like to, that you can't or that you will never. Right. Um, yeah. And, and I think also, too, like there's also a what's hard to understand and a lot of it is I'm working through this stuff too is what parts of that come from my experiences in that movement like what part of me being worried about confrontation because and I've seen other people reference it oh I'm always terrified of what people are thinking of me or I'm always terrified people are judging me I'm like maybe 20 years of being judged a lot <laughs> is going to do that but yeah it's, it's but I also think too in you mentioned this but it falls in that grooming category I think people who are trying to manipulate you whether it's emotionally or in any other way, they move the goalposts of what's acceptable. Mm-hmm. Like you said, when you get some distance from it, you're like, oh, to judge me because there's Sunday morning, Sunday night, but I miss Wednesday night because of work. The fact mm-hmm. that I feel so much vitriol toward me because of that mm-hmm. is really weird, but they move the goalposts to a point where like any other 20 year old is going to say, oh, that's crazy. But mm-hmm. at that point, they have you so bought in, and it's even weird that they use that terminology, but they have you so bought in that there's really no other reaction aside from saying, oh, you guys must be right. I must be doing something wrong. I need to worry about being here, not, not hitting my, mm-hmm. my hours this week. Yeah. So it's a really weird way of thinking. Yeah. 
And one of the things that really, the, another thing that really bothered me that I saw in, in the churches that we attended was that there was no room, like everybody was a cookie cutter and you had to fit in that shape. Um, this is the only way that Christianity looks. And if you, if you do it any other way, you're doing it wrong. If it doesn't look like this, you, you're just do, flat doing it wrong. Fix it. And, or you're probably not even saved. And it was, I found that because I'm supposed to find God's will for my life individually, but yet I'm supposed to fit the cookie cutter. And those, again, those two things are inconsistent. I can't individually find my God's will and purpose for my life when it's exactly what everyone else is doing. Yeah, it's, it goes back, especially for, I think there's a little bit more flexibility for guys within the movement. Mm -hmm. You can at least choose to be like pastor, Mm -hmm. missionary, this. I think with, and I I don't remember what episode we talked about it, but there was, uh, I had someone on and it was talking about, basically there's like a transfer of ownership for girls in the movement. There's there's that idea of, oh, I'm my parents, and then my parents signed me over to my husband, and then I'm my husband's. There's Mm -hmm. never a point, like, while you're in the home of your parents, mm-hmm. while you're then before while you're dating your parents, and then mm-hmm. once you get married, it all switches over. There's never a point at which you take full autonomy and get to choose what does that look like for me. What is, and it's interesting to me because, like you said, there's a lot of there was a a pastor's wife that taught a class that went over that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. what's crazy to me is that. The, like the indoctrination is so deep where like women are teaching this to women at this point mm-hmm. where it's not even men saying stay in your place. They've programmed women to tell other women. It's a really like when you really start thinking about it, it's shocking the kind of stuff you'll hear female quote unquote Bible teachers within that world say to young women. Mm-hmm. It, it's really interesting. I think it's one of those things where, and I, I don't think that they're the only uh, religious group that, that does this, oh, but those that, that you'll take new converts and you'll have them teach the fundamentals of the faith to a, a less educated group, like children or whatever. And then because they're indoctrinating the children, because they're saying it and hearing it and studying for less than preparation and things like that. So you're actually programming the teacher more than you are students. That's interesting. So uh, because you have all of this flow going in and all of these, because repetition cements paths and habits. So if even though that way of thinking is contrary to the way that I would not I would think as a rational and reasonable person, then they'll, they'll have me teach it to other people. So of course, as a single woman, I was never qualified to teach except for like small children. Yeah. It's, it's a fine line. And I, like, I'm, I don't know, I haven't asked yet, but I don't know what your current beliefs are. If you're, if you believe in a God still or, or where you've landed on that. But for me, it's like I still am in pretty much every way an Orthodox Christian. And it, for me, it was a lot of, ser- it was a lot of searching, kicking down stuff that I'd been taught and trying to figure out like what was legit, what wasn't. 
but there is a very fine line in churches. And I see this about any religious group. There's a fine line between like teaching and indoctrination. And I Mm -hmm. think when you, like you said, when there is that repetition, when there is, we talk about Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Saturday morning, then Christian school during the week, you can call that edification or discipleship or fill in the blank. But there's a very fine line between edification and brainwashing. And I, and again, this is coming from somebody, I still believe many of the same things, but I didn't come to those conclusions by sitting there zeroing in on what materials were given to me. It's just like this show. I keep the show diverse and talk to people who are, I've had people on who are atheists and I've had people on who are pastors. I've had people on from all different spectrums and I'm not scared going into a conversation that they're going to rattle my belief system. I think you have to go into conversations knowing that, hey, if the truth is there, and I think everybody, unless you're really talking to someone who's very postmodern, I think everybody believes there is some kind of objective truth. Mm -hmm. And there's also a lot of gray areas. And the more we talk, the more we're going to come closer to the truth. If we're both objectively Mm -hmm. looking, we have nothing to be afraid of. I'm not going to have somebody come on and say a lie and then research it and then still be convinced it's, uh, you're going to get closer to whatever that truth is. But like you said, if you're in a situation where you don't have time to even process it, mm-hmm. you're not coming to a conclusion. You're just repeating. You're repeating yeah. what you were told. I would get mad at people about drinking or about the version of the Bible or about yeah. fill in the blank, but I didn't yeah. know why the King James was the inspired word of God. I just knew that's what they told me every day yeah. of the week. Yeah. So and- there's my tangent. <laughs> And one of the clips that you played, it was one of the preachers in the movement that was preaching against uh, women's liberation and that, well, all these women want is the the freedom to divorce their husband and wear what they want and do what they want. It's okay. We can look at the history of this. When did this cultural practice start to change? I made a joke. It didn't change in the women's prayer band. It changed with women's liberation in the early 1900s. So, and what was women's liberation? I know women were oppressed. They couldn't vote. They couldn't do all of these things. And and you can be upset at me for my attitude toward that. But if there were wrongs, women's liberation wasn't the way to correct it. Because what women's liberation did is take women out from underneath, in the economy of the home, the authority of their husband. And it was, it was an assault on the, the godly framework, the way society and, and society is built upon families, um, the way society works. It was rebellion against God's order. Okay? It was a rebellion against God's order and, and has developed now into a rebellion against God's design. Okay? Um, I believe that someone should, a woman who is being abused by her husband, should have the right to leave that man. That should, Yeah. I don't think she should have to live in a place where she is putting herself and any children or anyone that's under her care in, in a position to be physically and mentally and whatever kind of harm that person wants to inflict upon them. I don't think that I, yeah, I absolutely believe that someone should have the freedom to leave that kind of relationship. 
Um, and the crazy part is the Bible agrees with that too. <laughs> so, go figure. Yeah. It's really interesting. And to be fair, I understand. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of churches that teach about the permanence. It's the permanence view of marriage where no matter what, stay there. And, and I think there's examples in the Bible of that as well, where people stay in situations where, you know, their spouse isn't faithful or they stay in a situation where they're, they're being abused or things like that. And, but the Bible also gives them a clear option to leave. And I think there, I think there's been, I don't know how to word it. I think it's been sloppy at best, the way that we've taught people, because are there people who truly are trying to stay in a situation for the good of their kids or to mm-hmm. be a light or yes. And, and, yeah. and if that's the choice that they make, I, I think make sure they're safe, make sure their kids are safe. But I think it's very sloppy and I think it is a problem when you get into, I'm going to use a word that's going to make people upset with me, but when you get into a, any patriarchal religious system and you take what men say and make that your guiding light, you're not factoring in what the experience is for women in the movement. And, and I, I look at this when I look at, when I look at independent Baptists, when I look at Amish communities, when I look at Islamic religious culture, there's very little restriction on the men and a mm-hmm. lot of restriction on the women. And again, whether you want to, I just think you have to be very careful, especially as a male pastor, you have to be very careful taking very strong stances on topics like permanence when you don't know the experience of a woman who's being abused. And I've seen people go after, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but I've seen people go after even John Piper over this. He's a, the name. Yeah, he's, he's a very well-known pastor. He's outside of the IFB, but he's, and I have a lot, I have a lot of respect for Piper. My, my daughter's actually named Piper after John Piper. <laughs> and so like love and love is writing, love is stuff. But sometimes I think he's sloppy with that topic. But I, I just think I'm probably sloppy with that topic because I can't imagine from a female perspective. <laughs> I, I, I can't picture it. Yeah. And the thing is, a lot of people have talked about like the caste system from like male, female children. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, the thing about that is, it's not, it's true, but it's not quite true either because yeah men are at the top and children are at the bottom but it's only like temporarily if they're male children like if they're female children they're still gonna at the bottom no matter where they go yeah but so in essence they've placed what and and even at that the woman is still there to serve the children and, and bring them up so she's still beneath the children in a lot of in in most ways except for she can exercise a little bit of no you can't do that but as aside from that in station she's actually beneath them right yeah it's and that's again i think that's where you have to have i think you have to have women in the conversation you have to have conversations like this because Again, if you're sitting in a room and deciding what should a woman do in this situation, but you don't ever ask a woman, like, what would be helpful, it's not going to work. It's like a group of white guys trying to meet in a room and say, what would make, what would help ease racial tensions? It it doesn't make any sense. You have to have that mix. But uh, I I do want to talk about the women's role. And I'm actually, 
I, I think I can do this, but my mom actually wrote um, out a, like the biblical bill of women's rights. So she says like things women are allowed to do. And it's pretty interesting. And this is straight out of Proverbs 31, 10 through okay. 31. But my understanding, when you look at traditional views of marriage within fundamentalist culture, it usually means like barefoot pregnant in the kitchen. That's like the kind of terminology you always hear. Mm-hmm. But if you, so like, I'll just straight up read it. And she doesn't know I'm going to do this. So she might be mad that she got a call out on the podcast. I don't know. But but Proverbs 10 says, Who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. So she said, A woman has a right to her own worth, and the worth is hers alone. Her value is based on her character, not her circumstances, family, or relationship status. And then 11 through 12, The heart of her husband does safely trust her so that she'll have no need of spoil. She'll do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She has a right to develop her trustworthiness and kindness. She has a right to choose how she treats others. She seeks wool and flax and worketh willingly. She's got to do the King James. I'm used to the ESV now. Uh, Willingly with her hands. Uh, So she has a right to work at a job or career of her own choosing. She's like merchant ship. She bringeth food from afar. She's got the right to choose the most economically and nutritionally sound way to provide the best food for her family. She rises while it's yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. So she has a right to run her household, organize schedules, plan menus, assign jobs, chores, and responsibilities. Uh, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants the vineyard. She has a right to her own property, develop that property as she sees fit, and reap the benefits of that property's equity. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengthens her arms. So she has a right to be physically strong and fit. She perceives that mer- her merchandise is good. Her candle go without, not by night. Uh, she layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. So she has a right to compete in the marketplace and put in time and effort to make a profit. She stretches out her hand to the poor, so she has a right to be charitable and generous. She's not afraid of the snow for her household. All of her household are clothed with scarlet, so she has a right to provide. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple, so she can be fashionable. Uh, Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land, so she has a right to share her reputation with those she loves. She makes fine linen and sells it and, de- and delivers girdles into the merchant. Strength and honor her clothing. Uh, she has a right to prove her worth in the marketplace to create her own vision and self-worth. And she has a right to prepare for the future. She opens her mouth with wisdom uh, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. So she has a right to an education and to apply that education in her life. She has a right to speak. She has a right to prove her innate kindness to others. She looks well to the ways of her household and eats not the bread of idleness. So she has a right to care for her family and those who work for her. She has the right to be energetic. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. So she has the right to respect. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. So she has the right to obtain personal excellence. And then uh, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord shall be praised. She has the right to a personal relationship with God. And then the last one is give her the fruit of her hands and let her her own works praise her in the gates. She has the right to a reputation of her own making. So it's just from that one small section, it's like, how do you sit there and interpret that as women are just to be silent in the corner and essentially like a grade level above the kids in their position? And uh, yeah, I used to get in fights with my mom because growing up, what I would hear from leaders in the church was women are absolutely not supposed to be any of those things. And even leaving the IFB and, and, leaning more into like reform theology. There's a lot of people who 
say women's roles are to run the house and it's okay but what does that mean like a guy's job is to run the house (laughs) in a weird way too there's Mm -hmm. and it's just really interesting and again i think a lot of it comes from not the biblical side i think it comes from the the patriarchal religious system there Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that because i'm a because I know people are going to say that. I'm not saying patriarchal to sound like a, a liberal weird. I, I'm just seriously mean. It's a denomination that's largely been run and controlled and influenced by men. So you have to take that into account when you're looking at where theology goes off the rails a little bit. But there's my second rant. I'm sorry. That's why I do a podcast, though, so I can just talk. But, but um, Just share the soapbox. But yeah, it's crazy. I think I just think you hit it on the head a lot with you don't have time to step back and look at like, why do we think about this stuff? Because if you think about why, (laughs) you actually think about the reasoning, you'll see all of the holes that are there and you'll be like, this is ridiculous. Who would actually, what reasonable person would actually believe this way? Right. Like without... They introduce it to you step by step. So you you take, sorry, I've got a hair tickling me. So I've got a, so you accept this little bit and then you take the, oh, you need it because that whole moving the goalpost thing. Another step here, like, oh, that would be logical from this point to that point. That's logical. And so you like follow this little curve off the path and then you're like way over here. And that's That's exactly right. It's based on, Based on the last step we took, this makes sense. Yeah. But it's what if we base it on like our foundational thing that we're all here for instead of basing on based on wearing skirts, it should be skirts to the knee. And based on skirts to the knee, if someone is assaulted, then it must be because their skirt wasn't below the knee. And if, and it, you just, oh, go ahead. That's good. (laughs) I I remember when, when I went to camp with, I I went to camp with my, my sister and I probably my brother too, because he was that age too. We went to camp with a, a church and they had a, a home for troubled kids, the anchor character training center at the time. I don't know if it's still. And, and so they had, they had girl sessions and boys sessions that they split us and then talked to us separately. And so the, the pastor had his girls and told us the story that the this Christian girl goes with her Christian school and for a senior trip mm-hmm. and she decides she's while she's there this guy gets her to agree to meet with him alone and and so she she goes back and then she's going to sneak out and so before she does she has to she decides to put on this something that makes her actually look like a girl <laughs> Right. And 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 then he ends up assaulting her, and but and I there was yeah there was bad consequences to that story because there always are, and but the whole reason that it came back when he circled back to the whole reason that happened is because when she left when she was sneaking out the outfit that she chose that's why he did what he did to her. So okay, if you actually think about that. I think he pretty much set it up so that he could do that because he planned that she would be alone with him so she could he could do whatever he wanted to do with her. But it was her fault for, yeah, that never sat well with me. Right. Mm. Yeah, it, and it's such common. That's we're seeing with the whole Me Too movement. We're seeing that's a mindset a lot of people have even outside that world. And I hopped on the phone with a Bible college student uh, who was like, 
bothered by some bothered by the show. And I got on the phone with him and we talked and it was good. And he was like, okay, I see where you're coming from. And he said, the only thing I don't get is we're just about to hang up the phone. He's only thing I don't get is like women say, oh, there's no responsibility if something happens because, but then they wear clothes. Like he was like, said like, he was just talking about like yoga pants and stuff. And I was like, this is going to be a long conversation. I just told him, I said, so you're basically saying at a certain point, there's no responsibility on the guy's part for what he does. If someone's in front of you naked, they're completely asking for whatever comes their way. And he's, no, I'm not saying that. I'm like, what are you saying? Because it sounds like you're just parroting the same kind of like negative toxic mindset toward it. And it's, it is, it's just a weird, but again, that's male culture. I think where you start saying, oh, I think that's a signal. Like when someone wears certain thing, that's a signal. When someone acts a certain way, that's a signal. And you can't really go off that. And so at a certain point, is everyone innocent of whatever action they do because there's an opportunity? There's no, we don't do that with any other crime. We don't do that with Mm -hmm. stealing. They left it unattended. So obviously I could steal it. It doesn't make sense. Finders keepers. So I, I am curious. So you talked a little bit about searching things out. So where do you stand now, like, on the spiritual side, what, where have you landed? Or you probably haven't landed. If you're like anybody, you're probably still figuring that out. Yeah. So where is that? What does that look like for you right now? Right now I'm, I'm exploring uh, messianic Judaism. Okay. I wasn't quite ready to, to give up Jesus and the whole thing, but I'm most days I believe in God. Some days I, that's a struggle. Mm-hmm. Because you think back and like, how could God be like this? That there can't be a God that's like that. Right. And so, um, still deal with some of the ideologies that I was given while I was there. But so that that's where I'm right now. I I'm trying to find to, because of course when you leave, you you don't get to take any relationships with you. So unless they come out too, I was fortunate in that my mom left basically left with with me so i i do still have that relationship my sister is still she's still involved in church and but we still talk i'm still trying to find what healthy relationships look like without mm-hmm. like people not trying to manipulate me yeah <laughs> um how, how long have you been out of the movie i i formally left probably it'll be five years in october when my sister got married. So that's when I formally, when that happened. Uh, still, that's still fresh. I mean, I'm, it, for me, it was like seven years ago. So yeah, it's, it takes a long time and you second guess a lot. Um, but yeah. So I, I guess my last question that I usually try to end on this is, do you think there's a hope for reform of the IFP movement? Or do you think it's something that just needs to slowly be done away with? I would say the sooner the better. <laughs> I don't think it's reformable. I think it's, I think the entire premise is built on abuse and mm-hmm. exploitation of people, specifically women and mm-hmm. children. And so I don't think, I don't think you can reform a system that is built on the premise of we have to abuse people right. to, to keep this going. I just don't think that's reformable. And you said something before we hopped on that I was curious about. I think I've referred to it as a dying movement and I've had other people that have referred to it. 
you disagree with that. I'm curious. I'm curious mm-hmm. what what your reasoning is or why you think it's not going to go away anytime soon. Okay. Uh, one, there are always people that feel the need to have someone else tell them what to do, and that is an ideal place for that. You're going to have to make a decision how much you're going to be involved in criticism of anointed leadership. You're going to have to, uh, well, yeah, but the leader is out. I, 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 I had the privilege Monday night to preach in my mother and dad's church. I stayed overnight and then came back in the morning. And I'm grateful that I have parents that have never lifted their hand against any man of God. And by the way, they have been going to church for 86 years. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They had one pastor that committed adultery. I never knew about it. And t- I never knew about it. Probably for 45 years, I never knew about it. Never talked about it. But someone came up to me while I was preaching in another church a few years ago and said, Mr. So-and-so had to be your pastor because he was the pastor of that church you mentioned. And I said, he was. I said, I never know what happened to him. And they said, well, he committed adultery. Well, I knew he was selling cars, but I didn't know the whole thing. My mother and dad never criticized him. And so I think there will always be a place like that for them. I also see, I see the same culture in, I've worked in corporate America for a very long time. And I keep up on articles and stuff. I think there was a article within the last couple of years about a girl from a large corporation, one of those gig drivers corporations that came out about sexual abuse and they did this. It could have been talking about the same exact situation in an IFB church, the way that they victim shamed her and uh, tried to silence her and sideline her and discredit her story and, like who would do that? Like, I mean, and yeah. and if they did, that's what you're there for anyway. So why are you mm-hmm. complaining? Yeah. It's the exact same culture, and it's the same culture in the, some of the political circles. When you read, I there was a story probably three or four years ago now, in the Kansas City Star, they did a series, and it was on the the politics in or the cult the culture in the state government cap the state capital government circles and they were having interns legally gagged you cannot say anything about what goes on in this office Mm. and of course people were being there there were people being abused and and you in order to work there you signed a legal gag that you cannot say anything they're like oh no it's not it's not if you know something wrong is happening that they can't say that but it doesn't when you read the thing that they sign it's you can't say anything nothing that goes on inside what what happens here stays here period so it's the exact same culture so i I would probably and they always tell you birds of a feather flock together and a lot of these big churches the leaders of these big churches they associate with these these men of power in these other two circles Mm -hmm. and when you're seeing the same culture, you're seeing the same, that these guys palling around and, and supposedly uh, they're not supposed to have anything to do with the world, but yet 
these are two of the most worldly places that you can find. And yet these men of, these quote unquote men of God are right there in those circles, running those same circles. Mm. So I think if it looks like a duck and it talks like a duck and it eats like a duck and smells like a duck, it's probably a duck. Interesting. Yeah. And obviously I hope with this that we'll see like the more aggressively bad places start to shut down and, I know that there are, there's always some good people and I hope that those people either find their way out or I told them the other day, I feel like the good people I know in the movement have all slowly left or, or I've had a few that have tried to stay in, you know, turn things around within their own churches they have, but the movement's just not interested for whatever reason in following suit. But, but I appreciate you sharing that perspective and for, for coming on and Hopefully just sharing stories like these and conversations like these are going to help open people's eyes, whether I I would hope on the leadership side, but if nothing else, the people sitting in the pew. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on and thanks for checking out the show. I know you found it like a week ago, which is pretty cool, but but I really appreciate you coming on and, and for sharing all that. It's really helpful. My pleasure. I appreciate you providing space for people to talk about their experiences there. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely needed. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.